This Someday is Here series is sponsored by Denver Seminary. I love Denver Seminary and am currently enrolled as a student. I'm constantly blown away by the integrity and humility and commitment to excellence that I've experienced from the faculty, the staff, and just to have met students from all walks of life. You'll hear more about Denver Seminary later in the show, but if you want to go ahead and check out their degree programs, visit denverseminary.edu slash Vivian, V-I-V-I-A-N. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Someday is Here. I am your host, Vivian Mabuni, and I just want to say happy AAPI Heritage Month. Uh, In the month of May, we are doing something special here on the podcast, and we are going to take the next five weeks to explore adoption. Um, One of my passions is to really help bring more education, understanding, and just really highlight and center Asian American adoptees and their stories. Uh, But I've also brought together a group of um, adoptive parents, adoptive moms that I trust that have done, in my opinion, a good job of really walking the adoption process and journey with their kids. So my hope is that this series would be beneficial for those of us who love uh, adoptees, transracial adoptees, transcultural adoptees, uh, who are adoptees or who are raising kids of Asian descent. Um, I'm excited really to bring to you some really great voices uh, from a wide spectrum of experiences and to really um, hit the different parts of the adoption triad, um, the first families, the adoptees, and the adoptive families as well. So enjoy these next five weeks. I can't wait to dive into this very important topic, and I'm so glad that you're here for the journey. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Some Days Here. Always, always good to have space and opportunity to connect with incredible AAPI leaders. I am thrilled today to actually reconnect with Gordon or G or Go, however we want. We'll probably use those names interchangeably, but um, a connection through Epic Movement, which is the Asian American Ministry of Crew. Um, We'll be able to talk about some of that, but just a really powerful story um, to share with you today. Just to give you a little bit of background, um, I am honored to have the very first hip hop artist on the Someday Is Here uh, podcast. So yay, here we go. But um, Gordon lives in Seattle and he has really, we will link this all in the show notes, but a video that I continue to share with people because it is so powerful called I Wonder. And it really is about his his adoption story that he finds out. So we're going to unpack some of that, but we'll talk more about Gordon's work with um, his writing and just his his, um, vision. And I love his tagline that music is a window to the soul. And this has been just evident in the work that he does. So we'll be talking about some of that, but welcome G to the Some Days Here podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Viv. Uh, we were talking a little bit off air, but I just love the vision of the podcast, and I'm 
truly excited to be here. So thank you for that great intro. Oh, well, it's an honor to reconnect with you. And I think over the years, you know, at maybe Epic conferences, um, there's just like some overlap here and there, but I've just always been just a fan of yours. So it's great to connect with you again. Oh, thank you. Yes. So for our um, listeners, would you mind just kind of giving us a little bit of your your ethnic journey, your spiritual journey, and and your adoption journey? If you're able to kind of braid them all together, that's great. But if you want to separate that out as well, that's totally fine too. But we just love to help our audience to to get to know you better. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as faith and adoption goes, that's a little bit later on, but ethnic identity growing up. So I grew up in a uh, first generation Chinese American household. So growing up, my uh, grandmother spent the most time with me and she spoke to me in Cantonese. So growing up, that was the first tongue that I spoke. I, I remember even when I went to elementary school, I had to take ESL because I didn't speak English. Like no one in my household spoke English. Wow. So growing up, you just kind of uh, get to know other kids in the neighborhood. And I had a good mixture of of different friends, people from you know Asian backgrounds. I had some white friends, Hispanic friends. And it was a pretty good mix of people, you know, that we're able to hang out with. So growing up as an Asian American, you always kind of feel this duality where you're you're like, okay, so I have these customs at home that I that I practice, but when I go to school, I don't really see that going on. Yeah. And there's this whole other world of American culture. So what 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 does that look like? Where where do we fit in in between those two spectrums? But I think as I got older and older, uh, my appreciation for my ethnic background started to kind of blossom and then right around 17 18 some adoptees they might have you know discovered that they were adopted or maybe they just look different than their parents and they're automatically they're like okay dead giveaway right but you know um when i was 18 i found out that i wasn't chinese like i found out i was korean because i was adopted from korea so that was just a whole different type of adoption exposure uh, for a long time because I didn't really know how to process it. Yeah, I just kind of ignored it. So I remember after I found out that I was adopted, I was like, oh, okay, so I'm adopted. What does that actually mean? How does that practically play out in my day-to-day? Oh, it's too complex. I don't want to think about it. But never was it one that uh, I wasn't trying to suppress like negative or angry emotions towards my birth mother or anything like that. It was simply because I didn't know anyone who was adopted. So it was way too complex for me to try to process on my own. You know? And that kind of coincided right around the kind of spiritual pillar of my life because, again, I didn't grow up in a Christian household. So I didn't come to know God or Jesus until I was in high school, ironically, right around the time that I found out that I was adopted. And so that was kind of the beginning of my journey. And I feel like through my faith, there was a lot of opportunity for the molding of the adoption story to kind of take place because instead of one that was filled with anger or confusion, it was one that was really more uh, surrounded by empathy and love. And how can I use this as a means to share the love of God because I'm adopted into God's kingdom. And yeah, when you think about all of those things mixed together, I guess that's kind of like a very quick, loose outline yeah. of how all three play play a part into who I am today. That's incredible. Um, I would love to hear, like, how did you find out that you were adopted? What was that story like? And um, what was that like with your family? When I found out I was adopted, it was uh, 
so there's a there's kind of like a few pillars in my life right so i remember when i was a kid i noticed that my parents were pretty secretive when it came to documentation like passports or you know things like that and as a kid what are you going to do with a passport you're not really going to do much with it but it was just that you know when we would go over to the border to canada they would be like a little bit discreet about it if i asked to see it they'd be like oh you know let's distract them with something else and i remember one time just out the blue i remember because in my mind i thought i was born in seattle but one time i was watching tv with my grandmother and i don't know why i asked her i was just like hey grandma where was i born and she said hong kong and then at that point, I was just like, wait a second, that doesn't make sense. I thought I was born in Seattle. Right. And it all came to a head when I was 18 because it was around the time I was exposed to church. And when I first came to know God, I was so hungry. I just wanted to learn everything about God. I wanted to spend time with him. And so our youth pastor at the time had this conference in Canada. And it was actually a little bit after 9-11. And so all of the international travel changes took place. And now in order to get to Canada you needed a passport. And so I remember I was 18 at the time, an adult, and I uh, called my mom and I said, hey, I have to go to Canada and there's these new restrictions. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to need my passport. She gave me this really roundabout, oh, I lost it kind of thing. And I'm pretty mild-mannered. Like, I'm pretty chill in general. But that time, I just, I, I just exploded on her. I was just like, hey, listen, I don't know what you're trying to hide from me. But I've noticed that you've been trying to hide these type of things for a long time. All I want is my passport so I could go to Canada because I want to go to this conference. Right. And there's a silence for a while. And then eventually, and this is all over the phone, eventually she said, hey, can I talk to your grandmother? Could you put your grandmother on the phone? And so my grandmother went on the phone and I you know, overheard them talking. And my grandmother was like, you know, he's 18. You should tell him now. You know, like you shouldn't really hide it from him anymore. Wow. And then at that point over the phone, my mom told me two kind of uh, uppercuts, you know, like the first uppercut is I'm not your biological mother. Okay. And so you're still kind of numb from that. You're just like, what? Like it makes you rethink a lot of things. Yeah. And then the second uppercut is like, oh, ethnically, you're, you're actually Korean. Boom. Another uppercut, you know? Wow. So when I found out on the phone, I think it was one of those things where I heard it. I might've very, very loosely processed it, but I didn't really know what to do with it. So for a while, I just kind of ignored it. But that's, that's essentially how I found out. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this five-episode series is sponsored by Denver Seminary. For more than 70 years, Denver Seminary has prepared and sent thousands of graduates into the world. What I love is that Denver Seminary's community is represented by more than 50 denominations, and it's uniquely known for demonstrating steadfast dedication to the unchanging foundations of biblical faith while being committed to charitable orthodoxy and deep relationships. Denver Seminary offers several fully accredited degree options to students with courses delivered either on campus, fully online, or through a blended delivery model. So this makes exemplary theological studies available to anyone and from anywhere. And I have loved being in class with students from around the world because it just enriches the study of the Bible and of theology. If you have considered at all getting us formal seminary education, I want to encourage you to check out the programs and the community at Denver Seminary. Visit denverseminary.edu slash Vivian for more information.
So did was there any further like follow-up conversation with your with your parents, with your adoptive parents about any of that? Or was it just kind of a, just keep pushing it down? We don't talk about these kinds of things. You know, the thing is, there was never any shame around talking about it. My parents, especially my mom, right after that conversation, she actually dropped everything and drove to my grandma's house, which is where I was at. Wow. And she just wanted to sit down and talk. But I think at that point, I don't know if it was denial. I don't know if it was just, I'm at a place where I'm still trying to question everything and I'm not even ready to process it with you yet. But I just didn't necessarily want to talk about it because I didn't understand what the end game was. Like, what is the point of talking about it? Is there going to be a resolution? Like, can we just magically correct things or or, or whatever? Like, I, I think it at a very early stage, it dawned on me, this is going to be a long process. And uh, I'm not trying to get any quick fixes. I just want to kind of slowly let it play out for right or wrong. That's kind of where my mind state was at. Wow. So from that point, like what was the process like for you as you continued this long process of just kind of unpeeling the different layers? Like what what were some of the the moments for you that you can remember or were there people that God brought into your life or other adoptees? Like how did that process really begin for you to kind of move into, you know, really discovering more? Yeah, so I I think that <clears throat> I didn't really even talk about it with a lot of friends at the time. I just had this impression that if I talked about it with someone, that they would automatically, like, reject me from their circle for whatever reason. Like, at the time, I didn't have that many Korean-American friends. I just had a lot of Chinese friends, and I thought, okay, if they find out that I'm not you know, ethnically Chinese, then, you know, we're going to have like, you know, a different relationship or whatever. So I just kind of buried it for a while. Ironically, this actually kind of ties into Epic because uh, during one of my uh, short term summer missions, I ended up going to Hawaii. It was a place called um, University of Manoa. And when I went there, I met with, you know, students from all over the nation. I think I was the only one from Seattle. But I remember meeting these two uh, sisters there. They were both Korean. And I don't know if the topic of adoption came up in, in conversation or, or something like that. But I, in that moment, <laughs> I just kind of felt comfortable to talk about it. And it wasn't you know planned. It, it was just kind of very spontaneous. And when I brought it up, my fear was that, okay, Korean people are going to reject me. And then Chinese people are going to reject me. And I'm going to be like stuck in the middle, kind of like the dichotomy of, you know, Am I Asian or am I American? Is there a mix? Is there a balance? Right. But when I told them, it was just nothing but love. And I think it was love. It was acceptance. And then they actually felt like they wanted to educate me on Korean culture, which I thought was you know pretty interesting. Yeah. And that was probably like one of the foundational seeds that caused me to be a little bit more open. And it all crescendoed at this event called Collaboration Seattle in 2010. I got... I auditioned for this uh, for this talent showcase, and at the time, it was like the biggest thing that I'd done. It was, um, you know, you could only get in through through auditioning, and I was the only rapper that got accepted. Wow! And I remember thinking that, okay, this is probably the biggest event, so I really need to write something that's going to be unique. You know, that is, you know, unique to me, my story. Well, what if I talk about the most vulnerable thing that I have been wrestling with, which is this whole adoption thing? 
And um, that's essentially the the genesis to writing I Wonder. Oh you know? my goodness, and I just got goosebumps. So that's, that's when it like publicly, publicly came out. And then that's when I just started to receive love from everyone. So all these false ideas or notions about acceptance, it was the complete, complete opposite. Like receive love from all parties. Mm. You know? How did your parents react when they saw your music video? I think my grandmother was very insecure along with my mom. I think they, and in my mind, I thought, what? That's such a foreign concept. Like, I'm not, you know, like you guys are my parents, you know, or my, I'm, I'm the closest to my grandmother. My, my parents had a restaurant growing up, so they didn't spend as much time with me, but my grandmother was like my mom and my dad. So I think it hit her the hardest because she, um, she just interpreted the song or the desire to want to meet my biological mother as almost an inadequacy of the way that she raised me because in her mind she's like well if you're truly happy with the way i raised you like why would you want to go search for your biological mother and for me i had explained to her multiple times that you know the heart behind wanting to meet my biological mother is not to fill a void that's missing within me really really i really want to share the gospel with her because i want to be able to use this as kind of a redemptive and healing experience for her because who knows what type of insecurities or yeah. or pains or hurts that she might have yeah. but knee-jerk reaction that was kind of the feeling from my from my grandmother and even from my mom i think my mom was a little bit more open and she understood because my dad didn't meet his dad until he was you know a little bit older not through adoption he just you know his dad just kind of um jumped ship and and you know just neglected his responsibilities but there's a little bit of understanding there, but the undertone is was insecurity. Sure, yeah, it really. I I'm curious because the there's that whole lay, uh, just the immigrant experience and language, um, and the complexity. Uh, how did how did the adoption come about? Do you know much of that story? Like the your parents adopting from Korea, or um, how did that? Yeah, how did that play out? This is something that I feel like is still very raw for my mom. And, uh, you know, I have friends who, you know, have gone through miscarriages before. And for some of them, it's like, you know, very traumatizing. It's a very difficult situation. So for my mom, she went through, I think four miscarriages and i think the last one was the final straw because they didn't find out until you know the baby was born it was like a stillbirth and after that type of like emotional trauma mm. that my mom went through one distant family member it could have been a cousin or a great aunt or, or or something like that had suggested hey you've been through this multiple times would you ever consider adoption if you still want a child and i think it's because they had gone through some type of adoption as well and they reached out to this organization called Holt, which I think they were referred to from that cousin. And I don't know how they do it now. And but back then they like sent like a catalog or something. And they looked through kind of the catalogs together and they were open to a son or a daughter. But I think a lot of the children that they saw, um, I think I was the only normal child. And I think I was the only one that kind of showed up after like three or four requests for like new babies or like new catalogs or something, I had only been in there for a very short period. And then I remember my grandmother was the one who was like, I really like this baby. 
And that's just kind of how they uh, proceeded with it. I think the whole process, because they do background checks and all that, would probably take about, I don't know, anywhere between 12 and 18 months. But the genesis of what even had that, you know, the genesis of even looking was through a series of miscarriages plus the recommendation of a cousin. Wow. Wow. So were were you then adopted at about a year and a half? Is that your understanding or... So I think when they first started the process, I wasn't even born yet. Wow. Because based off of all the files and everything that I was reading, I was adopted at three months. So I came to Seattle. I arrived in Seattle at three and a half months. So it was very fast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I love how God is just, his timing is just right. And he brings the right people at the right time. And there's there's kind of our our personal growth and development and then his overarching bigger story on our lives. And I think that there's, uh, I think what was so moved me about the video was you had not, you had known of your adoption and you were picturing what life would have been like for your first mom. Um, and the, the video is just so well done, but just this, this sense of, possibly a teenage girl finding out she's pregnant. And then there's a part where you were wondering, like, I love music. Maybe I learned to love music because you love music. And just I just want to say thank you. And it's just, it was such a, a video, G, that honored her. And I just think that that was so beautifully done. I mean, there was just a sense of um, appreciation and gratitude and um a genuine honoring of her, and um, I just how did how did you conceptualize the storyline? Did that come to you like at, at like one sit down, or was that something that you were marinating on as an artist for a long time? And the the storyline and the words, how did that come about for you? Well, first of all, thank you so much for the encouragement. Uh, shout out to the team who took kind of the vision and made it into like an actual visual piece because it started out as just the song you know i think when i when i wanted to write it uh for that collaboration event i knew that okay so if this is the topic that i want to talk about how do i want to structure it you know as a creative i'm always thinking through the form of a story so there's got to be a beginning a middle and an end there's got to be tension and there's got to be conflict or tension resolution towards the end to kind of give the story a complete, you know, unless you want to do a sequel or something, which, you know, I didn't want to do. So thinking about that, I was like, okay, so how can I write this? Well, how about on verse one, I talk about her story based off of everything that I knew. So I did receive some documentation from Holt that my parents had passed off to me. And the little bit of knowledge that I knew was that she was younger. The guy had left her and that she carried me to full term. So those were kind of like the three things, right? Because when I when I when I processed it, the reason why I feel like I've never had anger towards her, you know, first of all, a lot of it has got to be through the grace of God, just supernaturally. I don't think it was because of my sinful heart that I was able to, you know, have these types of emotions. I really do think it was through the Holy Spirit. So from the get-go, I just kind of looked at it like, okay, if she truly uh wanted to take the easy way out, whatever that means, she could have had an abortion. It might have been difficult. It might have been physically challenging, but she wouldn't have to deal with the emotional turbulence, you know, that comes with like, you know, letting go of a child or whatever. It just could have been, she didn't have to deal with the public shame of it, but she decided to go through 
the entire pregnancy. Yeah. And I was born without anything, like no defects, no nothing. So she must have at least to some level taken care of her body while while I was there. And then after having me, uh, to be able to give me up after like two months or whatever it is, you know, I don't take for granted how difficult that might have been. Like it's hard for me as a man to imagine the connection or bond between a mother and a child, but I assume that it must be strong. Yes. So I chose to take a lens of hope and and kind of uh, raise up the elements that I feel like could be really admired, you know, for her part of the story. So I try to write it from conception all the way until giving up the child. And then that's where verse one ends. And so everything that uh, she knows kind of ends there. Verse two, I wanted to pick up from, okay, so now what happened after I got to the States? She had no idea. She wouldn't know any of this, but here's what happened. And then we start talking about my upbringing, how I found out I was adopted in verse two. It's pretty much my story after taking that flight across the ocean. And then verse three, I wanted to use verse three as an opportunity. Like if you ever hear this song, here are some things that I really want to communicate to you. Yeah. And so after we finished, you know, all three verses, it was almost to me symbolically as putting a letter in a bottle and just kind of tossing it out into the ocean in hopes that one day she would be able to see it and to fully understand my perspective yeah. on the adoption. So that that was kind of like the um, the story arc for the uh, song. I'm getting all welled up just thinking about it because I can picture some of those scenes in my mind and the song and ah, uh, it's just so good. So very good. We will definitely link up the video to our show notes so that everyone can see it. But so powerful. So fast forward, um, tell us the story of being able to reconnect with your birth mom and how that came about and what that was like and what you learned and yeah, what that's done for you too in this process. Yeah. I never thought it would happen. I started writing letters in around the time I wonder came out. We wanted it to be this really nice story. As soon as the song came out, I wanted to try to reach her and I wanted to kind of use any momentum that we had from the song to get either help from Korea or whoever else to aid in the journey. Cause I was writing a letters through Holt, but they weren't reaching. I wasn't getting a reply. And I had been trying for, I think a couple of years up until that point. So three or four years after that, the, the release of the song, there is this uh, broadcasting company in Korea. They're called SBS, which I think is maybe the equivalent to NBC in in the US. So so it's a pretty big channel. So they reached out and they said, Hey, we'd love to help you find your mom. We're doing this wow. adoptive series. Okay. You know, would you be willing to come out to Korea? <gasps> so they were and inviting they me, you like, out to Korea. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. But yeah, they, they wanted me to do that. And so for them, I remember they sent me as soon as I said yes, like a couple days later, they sent me this uh segment that they already broadcasted where they did like a reenactment of uh me saying yes or something and they had like actors pretending to be me it was kind of weird <laughs> but um <Wow. laughs> yeah uh i would say maybe like a month or two because we were still trying to figure out what dates would work because they didn't want me to fly out there and then have to wait for a while they wanted to at least have traction first but then after a month and a half or so they came back and said there's these new laws that recently passed in korea where we literally due to privacy issues can't continue the search 
until you are physically here. And you may have to be here for a long time. You might have to be here for half a year, a year. Wow. Like we just don't know. And at the time I wasn't, you know, able to commit to something that long, especially in a foreign country that I'd never been to before. So right. I just opted to continue to write letters. Still nothing. And this was going on for a while. And then in 2017, uh, we, my, my wife and I, she was going to go to uh, Hong Kong to visit her grandmother. And <clears throat> I never flown international before. Well, okay, technically I was adopted, <laughs> so I, I, you know, but be, besides that, I had never gone international. Yeah. And so, you know, we were going to go and visit and, and see her family in Hong Kong. And I remember, you know what, if I'm going to go all the way over there anyway, Korea is pretty close. Let me just try one more time. And it just so happened around that time, a good friend of mine, Sam Ock, he had a show in Korea. He wanted me to be a part of it. So I was like, you know what? I'll be more than happy to make a pit stop. Let me just try to do this. So I remember redoing everything, writing a letter, getting in touch with the case manager. In my mind, I thought, okay, you know what? Worst case scenario, if they if there's no traction, the least that you know I, I can experience is maybe to see the holding facility at the adoption center that I was at as a child. Maybe that'll you know be like some closure or something like that. Um, and yeah, this went on for maybe five or six months before we left, and nothing. And then literally the weekend before we would fly out, our flight was on Tuesday, and I get a call on Friday. I was in the middle of a meeting that day, and our case manager said. Hey, uh, I can't leave this on a voicemail. I just need you to call me. <laughs> so I, I called her and she told me that they actually heard back from my biological mother. And she said, you actually have a half sister too. Wow. So it wasn't like a big of an uppercut as when I found out I was adopted, but it was one of those like, whoa, I never thought this was going to happen. Yeah. And uh, we went over there and... We got to Korea and uh, we took a train to this city called Tegu, which is about two and a half hours southeast of Seoul. And they set everything up. We met for a good two and a half hours through a translator. The very first thing that she did was uh, she gave me a big hug and she cried. And she told me a story. She was like leading up to this. She went with a friend because she didn't tell her family. Um, I, I guess her family never knew she had a son. Yeah. But her her friend was like, you know, the first time I saw your photo, when you sent it as part of your letter, I asked her mom, why do you have a picture of your old boyfriend? <gasps> and um, wow. <laughs> yeah, because my mom was like, you look just like him. You don't look like me, but you look just like him. Wow. And, uh, it, was, it was a pretty funny experience. But overall, that experience was pretty good. Um, I always like hesitate a little bit when I think about it though, because I knew I didn't have that much time with her. And typically when I share the gospel with someone, I try to have as much middle ground as possible. I try to massage the relationship and to find things that, you know, we both enjoy before I share the, you know, just how transformative the gospel really is. But because I was so short on time, I was just trying to share the gospel for like two hours, you know, and I could tell that there was a little bit of resistance because I think she came from more of a Buddhist background, but that didn't take away from the fact that it was still a very like symbolically emotional, you know, experience. And I know that a lot of adoptees never really get a chance to 
meet their biological parents. I, I never met my dad, but I, I met my mom. And so after that experience, we still kind of text every once in a while through Kakao, through a translator. And um, yeah, I feel like in a lot of ways, our relationship is still kind of early yeah. know, in its early stages. So Absolutely. Absolutely. What was it like for you just kind of blending because I you know I'm ethnically Chinese and spent a year in Hong Kong so I grew up speaking Mandarin um, I learned a few things in Cantonese while we lived in Hong Kong um, my grandmother also lived with me growing up too so uh, there's so this this Korean piece you know um, how has that been for you to just bring together Chinese Korean and being able to hold both and and even develop more in the Korean side, obviously, in learning that you are Korean. When I first found out that I was adopted, I was naturally very interested in Korean culture, just because I wanted to know what it was all about. And I started to learn. I don't know if I ever got deep into knowing how to speak the language, but enough to draw similarities between the two cultures. I think the biggest way learning about Korean culture has impacted me, though, has to go back you know, it goes back to the way that I think God designed me and put a very specific, I guess, passion in my heart, which is a heart for reconciliation, especially among Asian American ethnicities. Because if you look at it, historically, there's a lot of tension between ethnic groups. And I really have always firmly believed that it, through the blood of Christ, we can truly be united and that there wouldn't be, you know, all of this tension. And so I think my testimony or my story of the bridging of Korean and Chinese culture kind of speaks into that a little bit as well. And that's something that I'm pretty passionate about. The church that I serve at now is multi-ethnic, multi-generational, um, Asian-American. So just trying to see where God is going to use me in that way and whether or not, you know, pastoral ministry is something that he might be guiding me to as well. So Yeah, no, that's such a unique space. Uh, but so needed. And I think often when we talk about AAPI, um, it's such a broad term. And a lot of times there's not the historical understanding that, well, the Japanese invaded here and there was colonization going on over there and um, hard feelings between this group and that group and how we view one another. And I love that picture of reconciliation and being able to bring together um, what really God intended the whole time, like all of us reflecting who God is like and through our culture and through the way we express and through our food and through the the colors and the, the, the languages and even music and what it sounds like, you know, all of that uh, expands our understanding and our view of, of who God is. And I often joke because I speak in predominantly white spaces, but I, you know, remind people regularly that God is not an American and heaven is yeah. not a Hillsong concert. You know, so it's yeah. just, you know, being able to expand that view. And then I love, you know, reconciliation as just the heart of God that, you know, we're in the same family and uh, moving toward one another uh, glorifies God. They will know that we That's are Christians right. by our love. So um, that is really, really beautiful. So in your journey since then, you know, you continue to... Um, produce music and um, you dropped different albums. I want to highlight some of those, the debut album, We Are Hypergiants. Um, you have, you know, you're a rapper. So it's, you know, I don't see a lot of 
Asian American rappers. Um, what has that been like? Uh, is that something that you, I, I'm hearing a little bit, maybe pastoral ministry as well, but this rapper world too, what's that been like for you? I mean, hip hop is just something that I think was pretty popular in my neighborhood. So I remember growing up listening to it because everyone else listened to it until I got to junior high and I noticed, whoa, there's just a bit of a shift here. So I remember when my friends would listen to it, it was mainly based off of, uh, oh, I really like this beat or I really like this energy from the song. And I remember thinking like I would analyze my favorite rappers and take their lyrics and almost study it like it was poetry because I was like, wow, how do people take take these non-tangible things and create all these like visions out of it like whoa that's so amazing how do i do that and so if anything it just made me motivated to study poetry because rap stands for rhythm and poetry and so i just wanted to learn about how to do that as a creative outlet and i think that was something that it was just birthed out of a creative you know passion of mine and i think when i first started obviously um there's going to be some level of discrimination because they you know, people typically have an idea of what what you know rappers should be like or the topics that th that they should touch on. But I think in our current era, like if I was doing the same thing now, I think a lot of those barriers have kind of been uh, broken down. And a lot there, there's people from all over. Like hip hop has become kind of an American export to a global kind of phenomenon now. So every country has their own spin on it, and it's unique and um, for me, in my specific area is this subgenre called jazz hop, where it's the blending of jazz and hip hop, which I've always kind of been fascinated by. I experiment with different sounds as well. But for the most part, yeah, it's been great. That's kind of how I've been able to share a lot of the stories that God has given me and, and to talk about love and and all these other things. So it's it's my go-to if I ever want to express myself. That's something that I just start writing, you know. Wow. Do you have, like, what is that like for you as an artist? Do you, um, do you come up with concepts and then the words come? Or do you have a phrase and then you build around it? Or, you know, is there, is, is that even, um, is it even captured? Can you even capture that process? Uh, because it's just so different every time. What is, what is it like for you? For me, it's usually pretty consistent. So let's take I Wonder, for example. Found out in when I was 18, I didn't write the song until I was 24. So uh, for a lot of these concepts, it's like you go through life and you experience something. Boom, that's kind of saved in your, in your like mental, you know, like it's just there. And then for whatever reason, when I hear a specific instrumental, like what, like I've, I've worked with other producers, they create the music and I just rap because I can't play the keyboard or, you know, make beats or whatever. I just, I, I write and I rap. And so <clears throat> when I hear like the right, I guess, instrumental or, 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 you know, beat these, these things just kind of get interconnected. Like I remember the first time I heard the beats, I wonder the piano beat. Yeah. Yeah. It's like 10 seconds later, I was like, okay, this is the one. Boom. Wow. This is this this is gonna be the canvas that I paint this image on. You just knew and it. So for me, it's like it. you have all these saved up memories, but then like the right canvas will just bring it right out. So wow. it really depends, you know. That's so amazing. I love hearing the creative process for people. Um my husband is artistic, Darren. He knows how to draw and he just he just naturally and it's so funny because even when we play board games and there's clay like he comes up with such creative 
everything. It's just it's just oozes out of him and he can sketch and he can paint and he can do anything and he has never been formally trained. He just knows how to do that. And I do not. So I'm like stick figures. <laughs> Nothing has changed since second grade. <laughs> it just it's just um we we actually did like a let's try to have um some coloring time where we just like it was when the coloring books were adult coloring books were kind of popular where you know there's like trees and things and I was dead set on being um consistent on using every single uh color pencil that we had so I was just every leaf was a different color from the color pencil and then I look over at Darren and he is shading and there's like differing levels of green on the leaf and it was just astonishing and beautiful but I just thought just you know we create differently and I've come to learn that when I teach and speak my my modem uh, my the medium that I use is words so to read a really well-written essay um, stirs something in me. And I think the sense Mm. of poetry or, you know, a turning of a phrase uh, can be extremely meaningful. And I Mm. think, you know, others can experience that through music. Um, But there's just a, to me, that's another apologetic to the existence of God and how we reflect him differently. But I love that you are fusing jazz and hip hop too. That, that is a, um, a beautiful bringing together of what I probably would not normally um, fuse together. So that's yeah. really unique. What is what has been your most recent work that you've been working on? In 2020, I released an album called Jazz Night, and it's uh, sonically very jazz centric and lo-fi hip hop. And I talk a lot about the various kind of things that I've been experiencing since maybe like 2016 or so in that album actually talk about there's a song dedicated to my daughter because at the time she was just born and then there's an there's a song called face to face featuring a good friend named Jennifer Chung which is actually the spiritual sequel to I wonder where it talks about the entire meeting process and so for me it was like jazz night was kind of like um Oh, and then there's just another song on, on Jazz Night. It's called Worth the Wait. Another really popular song of mine is called Wait for You, which I wrote as a single. And I remember it was like writing a writing a love letter to my future spouse, just letting her know that I that I would wait for her and uh, that she was worth waiting for. And then Worth the Wait was just kind of like tying up the loose ends and talking about how that journey has been and how everything has been great. And then how verse three is like, um, now we have, you know, the next stage of life to look forward to in light of heaven. And yeah, it was just really good. Like if I were to boil it down in one sentence, Jazz Night was just kind of tying up a lot of loose ends that were on the original first album. So it was special in that wow. way. Wow. I love that. That is very meaningful. Well, we will link up all of these things on our show notes and want to encourage all the listeners to to go find you. Where can where can uh, listeners find you in all the places? First place is probably Spotify. Just go and search Go G O W E, and then I'm on most socials at Go Hip Hop, G O W E Hip Hop, and then that's like Twitter, IG, Facebook, and um, yeah. Whenever I have new content, you know, Go Hip Hop dot com as well. But whenever I have new content, I, I try to share it through all the socials. So that is fantastic. Well, this has been such a great conversation, Gordon. Thank you so much for 
being willing to share your story and your craft. And um, yeah, I'm just so encouraged by just God's work in your life and your willingness to turn that around and reach others and touch other people's lives. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Mm, praise God. Thank you as well. I'm actually looking forward to listening to a lot of the other adoptee experiences as well. So I'll be tuning in as a listener. That's great. Well, we will look for I will look forward to our paths crossing again at some point soon. Thanks, Viv. Someday is here is a production of Ivy Media Podcast. It's produced and edited by Angie Elkins, and assistant editor is Ashley Miner. Show notes and graphics are by Nikki Ogden. And the original music is by Joseph Patrick with Passion Net Productions. I'm your host, Vivian Mabuni. To learn more about the Someday's Here community, check us out on the socials at Someday's Here Podcast or at Viv Mabuni on Instagram. <laughs>